Good morning, church. If you don't know the people in front of you and back of you and next to you on either side, would you greet them? Give them a, a short hello and welcome them to church today. Don't forget the people behind you. You can always tell the uh, the really outgoing in the crowd because they take this as an opportunity to go walking. I hope you feel welcomed here today. I hope you feel the presence of the Lord here today. And the Holy Spirit's guidance is what we're seeking for all of us, for preachers, for uh, those of us who lead out of music, those of us who are involved in the in the, the, the church service and the discipleship classes. We just ask God's blessing and His leadership in what we're doing. Um, last week, Pastor Tim took us through a portion of uh, Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to pick up there today. And, uh, and I'm going to do something I don't know that I've ever done before. I want you to hear again Pastor Tim's uh, illustration because I think it uh, carries us from place to place very well. If you recall, Pastor Tim talked about the first house he ever lived in. Do you remember that last week? Oh, good, you can remember for a whole week. Last week, Pastor Tim said that he got hit when he was first a young pastor. He was all alone, single guy, by himself, and he was in a parsonage. Do you know what a parsonage is? It's a pastorate. It's usually a house connected to a, a, a church or nearby the church so the pastor doesn't have to find a, a church or find a house. He can live in that one. Well, he said this particular parsonage had seven bedrooms and that it had a full upstairs and a full basement downstairs. And he said he could only really use the little bit of the house and so he pretty much stayed in one or two rooms upstairs. Remember the story. Do you remember that Pastor Tim said that after a little while, the house began to stink? But he said, you know, once you walked into the house, after a few minutes, your nose would adjust and the smell went away. And so he didn't think too much about it. And a couple of days went by and a week went by. And he said, three weeks went by with this stink. You have to be a single man to have this happen in your life. And at the end of those three weeks, Pastor Tim decided that he was going to go downstairs, not because he was looking for the stink, just because he was investigating the house. He wanted to wander down into the basement. And he said when he arrived in the basement, he began to discover the problem was in the basement. How often our problems are in the basement. He walked down to the basement, he stepped off into water, then there was water on the floor of the basement. You remember this? This is a story freshening in your mind. I hope it's freshening in your nostrils too. So as, as he worked his way through the basement, he came to the bathroom of the basement. This happened on a Friday afternoon, evening. All things like this happen to a preacher on a Friday. I'm telling you this right now, it always happens on a Friday. Pastor Tim found the bathroom in the basement. And as he opened the door, the realization that the smell upstairs had found its home downstairs was very, very clear to him. He said that the pipes had backed up in the basement. And therefore, everything that was coming from upstairs was now downstairs. And it was not exiting the building. It was staying and visiting. And so when he arrived downstairs, he found the production of his own smell in the basement. 
called someone to clear it up and allow it to pass on. What I want to talk to you about today are the things you've gotten used to, you've grown accustomed to, and therefore have accepted as normal when Jesus would like to step into your life and change that normal. So we're talking about access to authority. Access to authority. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. This is the anchor of what we've been doing in Matthew the whole time as we've been stepping in and out of Matthew throughout this year. This is the anchor of this, of this, this section of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who finally get their act together and doing everything right because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that what it says? No, in fact, if you were to really read this correctly, we talked about this. This is a, this is a particular kind of Hebrew Aramaic sort of idiom and it should be saying, how amazing the poor in spirit. This is the kingdom of heaven. How awesome the poor in spirit. Theirs is in fact the kingdom of heaven. As soon as you recognize your spiritual poverty, bam, kingdom of heaven. As soon as you recognize your need, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Are you getting it? Do you understand that it's upside down of our religion? Do you understand it was upside down for their religion? Do you understand that it's upside down for human nature? We always assume that there is some ladder to climb, something that we must do to qualify for the mercy, grace, and love of God. Right? Some of you are uncomfortable because we're even having this conversation because that's so deeply ingrained that you say there's got to be something. There must be something. Yep. Recognizing your need. There is something. Recognizing your spiritual poverty. Jesus, remember, as he talks about these things that are wonderful and amazing and blessed... Caps it in the beginning and the end. He envelopes it with theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you realize you need him, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And when you've proceeded through some spiritual growth and some divine things have happened to you and you arrive in that last blessing, yours is still the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is letting us know that it's there throughout the journey because of the grace and mercy and love of God. So today... As we've been working through chapter 9 especially, we've been seeing Jesus illustrate this in people's lives. And today, we're going to move through this concept that it is, it is access, that grace, that authority, that wonderful transformational power is accessed when you finally come to the point where you're willing to trust God with your stuff. When you finally come to the point where you're willing to trust God with your stuff. You're saved by grace through faith. Thank you, Sam. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the anchor. And you access the authority of God for the transformation of the mess we find ourselves in when we recognize our need and trust Him.
Okay? So what are you living with? What are you living with that Jesus would like to help you with? Start thinking about it. What are you living with that Jesus would like to help you with? What's begun to stink from out of the basement of your memory and creeped into the present of your thoughts and your attitudes that you're living with? You've just decided it's your normal. This is how I am. This is what I'm like. You know when we say to people, oh yeah, well, um, I'm just obnoxious like that. That's a lame excuse. We say to other individuals, you just have to accept me and my bad behavior because that's just the way I am. The stink that you're spreading around in your life doesn't have to continue on in your life. What have you accepted as your normal? What are you living with that Jesus would like to help you with? What are you living with that Jesus would like to help you with? So if we go back to Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles with you, open it up there. If you have one of your, another, uh, item or a phone or an iPad that you're going to open up, find it. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be. You're welcome to roam around there. Um, most of the, the key texts I'm going to place on the, on the screen. Matthew chapter 9, if you remember where we are, Jesus has been traveling back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. He's come and he's gone from Capernaum since he was up on the mount acting like Moses and preaching. And he's been going through a series of activities that have demonstrated. Matthew's been making it really clear to us that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. He has the authority of heaven. He has the power of God. He can even control wind and waves. He can control even those detestable things that are Satan's own images in a person's life. He can cast out demons. Jesus has authority over so many amazing things. And Jesus has come back into Capernaum. He has moved his, moved out of Levi Matthew's house. And as he's going back through Capernaum, he's approached by a man who falls down in front of him and says, my little girl has died. You, you must come. And Jesus starts to make a way, his way to his house. Pastor Tim talked about this last week. On his way to his house, a woman interrupts the process. A woman stops Jesus on the way to this man's house. Would it be an emergency if Jesus were coming to the deathbed of someone to resurrect them? Would that be an emergency in your mind? If you were praying praying for Jesus to come into the hospital and help your very sick or dying friend, would you consider that an emergency? Would you want him to make a pit stop on the way? Stop for sandwiches? Pull over and get some gas? Go about normal things. Take a check out of what's happening. Would you like Jesus to stop? Here's the deal. Jesus is always interested in giving us an answer to our prayers and to our needs. Jesus is always interested in blessing us. The timing and the process are not under our control. Have you ever had a prayer that didn't get answered? Have you ever considered that that prayer might be punched for a future answer? We have prayed, all of us, for deserving, wonderful, loving people not to pass away. Right? Haven't we? We've all looked at the heavens and said, Listen, if there was ever a person here who needed your help, and who deserves your care, and who is in your hand, who has given their heart over to you, and you could step, could you please step in in this time? 
And had the answer come back, no. Have you considered that every individual who has laid their life in the hands of Jesus and covered by His grace will always be alive? Eternally alive? That the answer to that question for the person who is redeemed is never actually no. It's wait. Have you considered that if we all got the answer yes, there'd be a whole bunch of 5,000 year old people wandering the planet? Don't you think somebody prayed for Adam when he was sick? Lord, he was your first creation. He loves you so much. He'd be a great testimony. Can't we just keep him around? Here's Adam lumbering around in the 21st century. That probably wouldn't go over so well. There'd be a little overcrowding problem too. There'd be some explaining to, to do. All of these things give us opportunity to lean and trust in God that he knows better than we what answers should be. So moving along. While he is on his way, a woman approaches Jesus. Now she sneaks through the crowd. She finds a way into Jesus to try to just get a hand on him. This woman, who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, came up behind him and she touched the fringe of his robe. Now if you go into to Mark and to Luke, you, start, you sort of get a bigger story. She's been sick for 12 years. She's spent a lot of money on doctors. Now you have to realize what doctor means in the first century. Doctor in the first century is a lot more like some guy who rolls in with a wagon selling snake oil than what it is today. It's a very different sort of a deal. So she had been probably through a lot of odd and difficult treatments to this point. She had spent all her wealth, Luke tells us. So she has come to the point of utter desperation. She has no other avenue of help. She's emptied her bank account. She's gone to everybody she can go to. There's nothing left for her but Jesus. This always makes me crazy. That we wait until the end to pray. That we get, that we say, oh well, you know, it's, it's gotten to that point now. There's no other hope. We should talk to Jesus. Maybe we should move Jesus up the ladder of opportunity for us to speak. Maybe we should reach out a little sooner to Christ. Maybe that opportunity might be granted to us. Maybe something could be done soon. I don't know, but why do we put it off? Has it come to that is sort of our approach. Right? A, a, a person is, is in, in great distress and there's, there's floods rolling into their, their, ho- their home and things are getting really desperate and they're trying to, to pack things around the doors, keep the water from rising. They're trying to, to, to find a way to take, take care of themselves, bailing water out. And somebody says, maybe we ought to pray. And the person answers, has it really come to that? It's weird how we wait. That's, this is the woman. She's, she's in desperation, so she finally sneaks up on Jesus. I love this woman. She sneaks up on Jesus. She sneaks up. I find it humorous. I'm going to get as close as I can to Jesus and maybe he can help me out. 
Does she lunge right at the end? Is she crawling? Is she trying to keep low? She's sneaking up on Jesus to see if she can get some help. And what a picture. Would you consider this a paragon of, of of the demonstration of faith in prayer? When you look at what's going on, would you say, wow, look at this woman. She's a real demonstration of faith and prayer and, 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 and willingness to come and be engaged with God and submit and have Him in her life. Is that what you're looking at? Desperate faith is still faith. This is desperate faith. She's tried everything else, but desperate faith is still faith. Praise God for that. Because some of us have been at desperate faith, right? Some of us have been up against the wall. We have nowhere else to go. And we went, okay, I guess I'm going to pray then. We had to hit bottom bounce a couple times before we were willing to kind of go, okay, 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 I'll do it. I'll pray. That's where she is. This is, this is an amazing picture of desperation being the only reason you go to Jesus. And it's a more glorious picture of the fact that he says, okay, all right, I'll take it. Take you where you are and we'll go from there. I'll meet you where your desperation finally comes for home and we'll go from there. I'll meet you where you've run out of other choices and we'll work from there. Praise God. What a great picture of the mercy and grace and love of God. She sneaks up on Jesus. Pushes her way through the crowd. Touches the hem of his garment. I don't want to interrupt him. I don't want him to look at me. I don't want him to stop. I don't want him to point. I don't want to possibly have him ridicule me because that's happened before. But I have nowhere else to go. I love the picture this paints of the heart of God. Desperate faith is still faith. After Jesus left the girl's home. Now, Tim already took you into the girl's home. And so I'm just going to remind you that from Jesus meeting the woman, he goes to Jairus' house, throws out the professional mourners, raises the little girl from the dead. It's a great moment of triumph. And as he's leaving the girl's home, now he's still in the region of Capernaum, but as he's leaving the girl's home, on his way out, This is a day in the life of Jesus. This is what happens when you're Jesus. He just got his way out. Two blind men see him. And they start shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. This seems to be what blind men say. It's on the blind man internet. If you come across Jesus, shout, Son of David, have mercy on us. He goes off. He's in another town. He's on the other end of Israel. He's down in Jericho. He's leaving the city. Blind man says, Son of David, have mercy. It's got to be on the hotline for blind men. This is what you say. And so he does. They, they, these two guys shout out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Did you notice there were two of them? We use a phrase that corrupts the situation. We say misery loves company. 
I think misery needs company. When you're miserable, you need company. Whether you think you do or not, you need someone else. You need the courage of another person. You need the encouragement of another person. You need someone to go with you through the difficulties. How many of you have done that? How many of you have been in a place where things were difficult for you, things were kind of hard for you, and having a friend come along with you helped? If you don't know, most everything can be figured out from third grade. Seriously, the the book was written, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. I actually think it's third grade. Think about it. When you were a third grader and you liked a little girl. Now, boy, girl, you, you you get the picture. When you liked someone else in your third grade class. I only know this from one perspective. When I liked a little girl in my third grade class... The first person I told was not the girl. Who did you tell? You told your best buddy. You told your friend who ridiculed you first if you were a boy. If you were, what did happen when you were a girl? Did they hug you and say, oh, that's so sweet? Is that what happened? Nod, yes, lady, if that's, if that's what happened. Okay, good. I, I don't know your perspective very well, but I know, I know what happened to third grade boys. The first thing that happened is the other nine-year-old would ridicule you. You're such an idiot. Ah, nah, nah. And they would start pointing at you and making fun. And they were going to pretend, they were pretending if they were a good friend, that they were going to let the whole class know, oh yeah, Jimmy likes Brenda, Walt likes Brenda. And they would start that line. You would go, no, 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 don't tell them. Don't tell anybody. Because this love was a secret. And then after a while, it would build up like a volcanic eruption inside of you and you had to let her know. But you couldn't speak to her. Because there's a law against that in the third grade. But your heart is longing and this, this building of, a, of need is inside of you and you become miserable. And so do you say to your buddy, would you go to her and ask her, if she likes me. So you don't actually go and tell her your feelings in the third grade because that's too risky. You Would you go to her and ask her if she likes me? And so there are third graders all over the world going to other third graders and saying, do you like him? Do you like her? I don't know what that's going to accomplish because third grade... Dating is quite awkward as well. I think we'll just leave that right where it is. It gets very unusual after that. No one, it, there's still a distance thing to be done. There's no contact. There's hardly any eye contact. There's uh, Valentine's. You just know who you're sending the little red thing from the package of all those things to, right? You send 10 to this one girl. And they all say the same thing. Walt. The card speaks on your behalf. Every man knows that as truth. Not from just nine, but to 99. Ladies, if you get a card and it says Walt, the card, read the card. That's why we gave you the card. Extensive notes are not in our wheelhouse generally. If you get a note, praise God. And make a nice meal for your husband or spouse or significant other. Two blind men have the courage 
to shout out together because there's strength. There's encouragement. In fact, Ecclesiastes tells us the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three stands will not quickly be broken. It may be broken, but you don't want that third grade, third or third guy. He is surely going to tell somebody. Misery's company gives misery strength. And two blind men come to Jesus and they say, Son of David, have mercy on us. Let me ask you a question. Is this a prayer of tremendous faith? Is this a demonstration of someone who has reached a depth of their understanding? Or is this also someone who has reached the end of their rope? And is hanging on to the last knob of the knot, saying, I need your help. And I brought my buddy along because he needs your help too. And together we have the strength to say, please help us. Jesus takes them into Peter's house. Peter's house is ground zero for miraculous things in the city of Capernaum. And he speaks to them of their faith. He says to them, do you believe that I can do this? It's kind of a weird question. In some ways it seems like a dumb question. But it's an important question. Do you trust me for what you're asking from me? Do you believe that I could do this? Yes, Lord, we do. Okay. Lays his hands on them and he says, your faith, your faith has made you whole. Your faith accessed the authority of heaven on your behalf. And they leave. Another one of Jesus' odd comments comes next. Hey guys, keep this quiet. This is just between you and me. Could you please maintain your stick as you go out the door so that no one will know that you can actually see? I think this one's going to be hard to keep under wraps. And the Bible says that they went out telling everybody about it. And so we come to the last person. Why, while the two blind men leave, somebody comes bringing a man who is demon-possessed and can't speak. Truly alone with his demons. Someone brings him, but he can't speak to them. There is something in your inner silence that allows the demons to speak more loudly. Some of you understand this at a heart level. Some of you understand that the more you try to hold your, your tongue when dealing with those things that are crying out inside of you, the more you try to hold your tongue, the louder they get in your ear. Right? Anger, violence, harmful memories, depression, discouragement. 
they get louder and stronger and more powerful in your life the more you try to hold your tongue. And this poor guy can't even express verbally what's driving him so mad inside. He comes into the presence of Jesus. He can't speak. I keep going forward before I need to not go forward yet. And once again, Jesus accesses this man's tiny measure of faith. Now, if anything is true of these four people, it's that they're all desperate. Jairus isn't running up and kneeling in front of Jesus if his daughter isn't dead. Not happening. He's the leader of the synagogue. There's too much to lose. This woman has already demonstrated that she'll try anything else before she tries Jesus. These two blind men, they're on the, one of the lowest rungs of the totem pole in Jewish society. God obviously hates them. He's hated them for so long they've been blind apparently their whole lives. And now this poor guy who's demon-possessed and mute. None of these people are, are superstars of faith. They're just people desperate enough to come to Jesus. Remember the story of the woman. When she reaches out, lunging for Jesus' robe, touching maybe just those little blue sits that's hanging at the bottom of his robe. Healing power goes out of Jesus. He recognizes it. Something left. Bam! Struck something else. Healing power goes out of Jesus. And he turns around in the crowd and asks, Who touched my robe? I love the disciples' response here. They're in a big crowd. The disciples look around and go, What? Come on, man. There's a big crowd around you. Everybody's touching you. Fifteen people just touched you. But Jesus isn't interested in the common touch of the average person. He's interested in the touch of faith. And it's the touch of faith that is connected with the power of heaven in this moment. It's a crazy thing, but you can be in the presence of Jesus and miss the power entirely. People do it in church all the time. Preachers do it all the time. Right in the presence of Jesus, right in that moment when we think we're connecting, right in that that place where all connection should happen, it should happen here if it's going to happen anywhere, and here we are, and nothing's happening. One preacher said that you are no more a Christian because you're in church than you're a car because you're in a garage. You, you can be in the very presence of Jesus rubbing up against Him and have none of the experience of transformation that He's trying to give you because you've never actually reached out in faith. You were convinced. You were pretty sure you needed to be there. You knew that this was the place to buy asbestos underwear for the fires to come, but that was as far as it got. You just weren't really ready to trust him. This we use the word faith all the time, but it's really it's really simplified. It's an act of trust. Giving up on my answer and appealing 
to Him for His. It's especially difficult for those of us who are good at stuff. You know what I mean, right? I had a next-door neighbor, brilliant, and I mean brilliant, knew the law, had worked in construction, and sometimes he would come over to my house and look at what I was doing. I was fixing the gate at my house one day. It was very intimidating when he would come over. He was also like 6'4 and handsome. You know, if you're going to be 6'4, at least be ugly so you're not quite so intimidating. Big, hulking, handsome man. And I'm working on my fence. I'm putting this gate in. And he walks in and he's very gentle because, of course, if you're perfect, you're also gentle. And as he walked up, my wife is laughing because she remembers. He walks up while I'm putting the gate in. And he looks at it. I have made a decision about this gate. It should be right in front of this window. And unfortunately, if I'm going to hook it, if I'm going to screw it into the walls here, the, the, the supports for it, the particular stud on the right and the stud on the left aren't exactly in alignment with each other. And so my gate's going to be a little bit off. And so my neighbor, trying to help, looks at my gate and he says, those aren't in alignment. Now I knew this. I was hoping no one would notice. It wasn't that far. And I said, I know. And he said, they really should be. And I said, I know. And I proceeded doing it the way I wanted to. And if you come to my house, I can show you the gate and it's still out of alignment and it closes. (laughs) Mr. Perfect. Most of us who are that good have trouble coming to God and saying, I need help. And most of us who are not that good, when Jesus shows up, put up crooked gates. So I ask you, If faith is the most significant thing in our lives, if trusting God is that thing that gives us access to His authority and His power in our lives, what are you living with that Jesus would love to help you with? What are you living with that Jesus would like to help you with? Let's pray. Father, make us more uncomfortable. I don't want to ask that. So that we will 
accept your help. Thank you that you still accept our desperate, last-ditch effort at faith. We surrender our self-reliance this morning. And we choose to trust you. Maybe for the first time. Certainly for the next time. Amen.
Jeff, could you put that slide back up one more time? Would you stand with me as we end service today? I'd like to pray together that lyric one more time. Just a cappella, if that's okay. Greg, would you lead us? Oh, Lord.